song actually as our text for this morning, but uh, that's not what I had planned, so I'm not going to call it audible, but it certainly could be used. Great song. It's uh, great to be here with you guys. It's uh, always great to worship with the family. Especially, uh, we've been through a little bit, especially uh, in our household, we've been through a little bit, so it's good to be here on, hopefully now on a consistent basis with the family. We were uh, never away in spirit, we may be in a, away physically, but definitely not in spirit. So we're going to go ahead and pray, and then uh, we're going to jump in here. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Father, we thank you that you allow us to build our life upon your work. Father, your love. Father, we thank you so much for everyone who is here with us. Father, we thank you that you are here with us. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness that you never leave your people, Father. Even when it seems that maybe you have, you are always with your people always, Father, moving history forward to accomplish what you've set out to accomplish. Father, we thank you that you don't leave us as orphans. Father, we're not redeemed and then just left. We're redeemed and given the Spirit. We're somehow this living God that we worship. Somehow he's inside of us. And somehow it doesn't destroy us. Father, the mystery of the gospel, Father, we uh, will never understand it until we get to see your face. Father, help us, at least this morning, Father, to understand your word in a way, Father, that would move us closer to you. Father, I pray that uh, I would not misrepresent you, Father, with my words. Uh, More importantly, Father, uh, we collectively pray we would not misrepresent you with our lives. And Father, thank you that when we do... God, you're still faithful, and you continue to transform us so that we could misrepresent you less, God. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Well, as we get started here, I want you to think about at least some time in your life. Okay, It may have been when you were in preschool, in grade school, whenever, where there was a friend that you had that was just faithful. If he or she said they were going to do it, you knew they were going to do it. It may have been as simple as, they were going to bring me a cookie tomorrow. And guess what? They brought that cookie. So that's snack time. At least we had that. Uh, I remember as a kid, you know, I'd have a cookie to eat. So whatever it may be, it could be something that simple. There was... One friend at some point in your life that was faithful in what they said they would do, they would do it. And then, of course, we get older, and it's for multiple reasons, it may be a little bit more difficult to find that friend that is faithful. But we do have a friend that is always faithful to us. And what he says, he always does. 
So the key takeaway that I hope for today is that from the text that we're going to be looking at in Exodus is that even when it seems that God is not working, He is faithful to His promises. Even when it appears that God is not working, He is faithful to our, or to His promises. And that's what I would like to hopefully leave you with today in our short time. And there's a little saying that I, I'm going to I'm going to say the first half, and I'm going to see how you guys fill it in. And if you don't know it or say, not what I'm looking for, no biggie. Maybe I'll learn something new. But when I say, God is good all the time, and... Okay, good. God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. You know, it's interesting that these little sayings didn't mean a lot to me. As I get older, maybe more mature in the faith or less mature, I don't know. <laughs> These sayings start to start to see the meaning behind them. Yeah. God is good all the time. Yeah. And all the time, God is good. And I'm reminding myself of that, and it's bringing me encouragement. Talking to Lewis this morning, he was asking me how things were going. How you doing? And I said, well... God is good. That's what I'm reminding myself of through some of the difficulties. But what we're going to look at today, uh, like I mentioned, Exodus chapter 2 is going to be our main text. And this is a story, the story of the Exodus, at least for me, that's very personal and very important. As a kid, I don't remember how old I was, 8 to 12, somewhere around there. I remember one instance specifically, sitting in my bed, trying to understand the existence of God. And I was saying, but this, if this, then this, and then wait a second, that doesn't make sense. And then if he's the God of Jesus, then who's his dad and all these things. And I remember it was just mind-blowing. I remember getting up out of my room and walking to the kitchen and just standing there like, who can answer this question for me? I didn't have uh, the household that could answer answer it for me or even you know, open up the Bible. I, I didn't ask anyone. I just sat there. And I always knew there was a God, but which God? And this story of the Exodus, for me anyways, this is the reason why I believe in this God, the Ab- God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the story of the Exodus. So for me, it is very personal. It was a turning in my faith, something that grounds me that the words in this book are true because of God's faithfulness that he displayed in the Exodus. Now, some would say, well, isn't Jesus the reason why you believe in God? Well, that's another story. Jesus is the reason, his resurrection is the reason I believe he is the person that the Exodus story was pointing to. But the reason I believe in this God is because of the Exodus story. Because of God's faithfulness. But before we get to the Exodus story, we're going to go through the books of the Bible to get to that. So in Genesis, we have the creation story. God creates all things. And he looks at humans and says, we are going to create them in our image. 
All human beings, because of God's creation in His image, have value. They're created to worship and praise Him, and then to witness to those around them. So intrinsically, if you are a human being, you're valued in God's sight. Period. Despite what others say or don't say about you. Being created in God's image, he didn't say that after he created the animals, created the trees. No, get me wrong, that they definitely display God. But after he created human beings, he said, let's do this in our image. And then he said, oh, it's very good. Ooh, that is very good. That's the crown. That's my crown joy right there. My human beings. And then those representatives that are to be representatives for the human race, Adam and Eve, they start to mix, well, my will in with the will of God. They do what you and I would do. Okay? Put your name in there. You and I would have done the same thing, and we do the same thing. But then they are exiled outside of Eve. They're exiled out to this madness that we see going on as we continue on in the book of Genesis, and we get to Noah, and things are not looking good for the human race. It appears from the text that they're starting to do more of their thing over God's thing, and so there's a flood. And you would think the next page over it would get better, right? Like, well, we kind of had a reset here. There's, it's going to be better And as you turn the pages of Exodus, it's getting worse and worse and worse until we kind of reach the pinnacle, the Tower of Babel. It is looking pretty bleak. We're now, we're not going to do our thing. We are the gods. And there's a group of us that we're the gods and we're going to build us a little tower here to the heavens and we're just going to walk in heavens because we're gods looking pretty bleak for this good creation in the beginning of genesis and then out of the blue at end of chapter 11 out of nowhere this guy named abram is introduced into the story and that's where we're going to pick up in genesis chapter 12 So what is this? You know, it's looking bleak. Abram comes onto the scene. God, what do you got going? What what are we going to do about this? And it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those... Sorry... And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I don't know if you're Abram at this point, probably feeling pretty good. Wow, my name's going to be great. I'm going to have lots of descendants. I'm going to be a nation, a great nation at that. Built into this means I'm going to have a land, because if you have a nation, you have to have a land. And all the peoples of the world are going to be blessed through me, through my descendants. That's pretty awesome. Except for the part of, you're going to go to a place I will show you. 
that's probably wasn't super. Well, where am I going, God? You get, I'll, I'll tell you later. So Abraham in faith, of course, followed this. But this story is pretty amazing that we get to Genesis 11, and it looks terrible in the plan for the world's redemption. We see it unfolding here through the promise made to Abram that through you, all peoples of the world would be blessed. And again, Abram, it probably sounded pretty amazing, but we have to continue on in chapter 15. Then the Lord said to Abram, know this for certain, not maybe, kind of, know this for certain, that your offspring shall be aliens in a land that is not theirs and shall be slaves there. And they shall be oppressed for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nations that they serve. And afterwards, they shall come out with great possession. Part of this promise is that these people, people of God, soon to be, or already are, somewhere in the future, they're going to be slaves. For 400 years. Not for a month or six months or eight months, 400 years. And this is God's plan somehow. So now it's time to arrive in Egypt. If you can turn uh, to Exodus, book of Exodus. I'm going to give a little backdrop before we get to our main text. Exodus chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. So how was this going? You know, you think of Abram, well, slavery, that's, that's not good. 400 years, that's not good. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. The people of God were extremely oppressed by the Egyptians in all the tasks. They were ruthless in their treating of them. Of course, Abram's long gone at this point, but it's not appearing that this God that's so faithful, I mean, he brought us to he was true about the uh, exile and true about being in slavery, but how is all the world going to be blessed? It's not looking good. Kind of looks like we've returned here to some of the stuff in Genesis. Now it's being used on the, on the Israelites. Our main text is going to be in chapter 2. It's a little backstory: creation, Adam and Eve. Noah, Babel, the promises made to Abram. Now we are in Egypt and they are being mistreated in our main text. We're going to camp out on Exodus chapter 2, 23 through 25. And the Bible reads, after a long time, the king of Egypt died. That may be good news. Maybe things are going to change. Right? A new king, you know, maybe we get one not so bad, maybe 
maybe he'll remember Joseph or hear about this guy named Joseph and treat us a little better. The Israelites groaned under their slavery and cried out. Out of their slavery, their cry for help rose up to God. God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God looked upon the Israelites and God took notice of them. So we see here that we get a new king or new pharaoh and things didn't change. Seems like it's a continuation. And it says that the people, they groaned out and these prayers went up to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is a painful situation where the people of God, they're enslaved, they're mistreated, and the worst part, they have no power whatsoever to change the situation. No power at all. They have the one thing that we see here, they could pray out to God. I'm sure there were some rebellious and thought, well, we could, couldn't we come together and overthrow them? And someone a little bit more wise probably pulled them aside and said, no, you, you're just going to die in the sands of Egypt here if you do that. We're just going to have to persevere through this one. I don't know how long it's going to be, but we're going to have to persevere through it. And it said that they groaned out. We're going to take a look in this passage. There are four human responses and four divine responses. Four human and four divine. And they're used in repetition. Two verbs and two nouns. A noun to match the verb. They groaned. And then later on we see the groan went up to God. They cried out, and it said their cry. So this is repetition over and over. The reader wants us in this small passage to know how difficult it is for the Israelites. That he repeats it in the small little passage. And he says twice, because of their slavery. He wants the reader, you and I, to know this slavery is absolutely miserable. And they have no power to change it other than to rely on the promises of God. And at this point, the text doesn't say it's, it's hard to know how much of the promises of Abraham, how much that was spoken about through this time, these hundreds of years. I'm sure that some of them knew about it, but how much we don't know. But they knew that they could cry out and hopefully that this would be heard. And this idea of groan, I think it's really important, uh, this definition here of this, uh, this verb. To groan is to, specifically this verb in this sense that it's being used, it's to vocally indicate pain, discomfort, or displeasure, almost always inarticulate. This type of pain is that type of pain that, Unfortunately, we go through where you have no words. You don't know what to say. Then I think the NASB says that instead of groan, it said they sighed. You know, I know in uh, February 1st, 2000, I was four months as a Christian when my mother died. How are you doing? 
inarticulate. There was nothing that I could do to take away the pain. I couldn't hit a button and the pain goes away. I could cry out to God. I think one of the things, though, that's important, why I may not be able to do anything, and you may think, well, you can't do anything. Well, the one thing is we do have each other. We have each other to help persevere through it We can't change it, but we together, we can persevere through it. And I'm sure that they had to do that too. Because it said we cried out, or the text says they cried out. In Deuteronomy, when Moses is reminding them in chapter 26 about this time, he says we cried out. It's collective. We may not be able to change the story, but we can walk with the person through that. And many of the people did that. I, I can remember it like it was yesterday when my mother died. And even more recently with the stroke. And then the heart surgery and then the stroke after that. And um, so many of you came over to visit. So many of you prayed. So many of you are asking, how are you doing? We have each other, even though we may not be able to change the situation we still can help each other persevere through it. But these human responses that we can relate to groan, cried out, our cry, our groaning, these are our responses to pain. And thankfully this text has a divine response to our pain. Imagine there being no relief in your deepest pain. The idea that time heals all wounds, maybe, maybe. Imagine if there's no divine relief for our most difficult pains. Imagine if there's no divine relief when we were in our Egypt when we were slaves to sin. There was nothing that we could do to get out of that. You can't do enough works to get your way out of that. You check you in someplace if you think you can do that. <laughs> nothing you can do to get out of that. There needs to be a divine response. Verse 24, we see these divine responses. It said, God heard their groaning. God remembered His covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God looked upon the Israelites, and God took notice of them. We have our four divine responses. See, God says that He heard them. You know, in our deepest pain, it's great that we know that our Creator hears us. When my mother died, I'm glad that there was a God that heard my cries. 
the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he hears our cries in our deepest pains. Laura and I were um, at a dance competition and uh, I was waiting to go watch my uh, one of my daughters dance. I went back to the room to rest. It was uh, right after the stroke. And so I would go back to the room and rest. And Laura would text me, hey, it's time to get over here. And she shows up to the room. I'm like, hey, what's going on? She's like, well, I'm sorry I have to tell you this. CJ passed. You know, I'm grateful God hears our prayers. You know, I sat in that room and, you know, I cried. And it was time to Go watch my daughter's dance. I'm walking down the down the halls crying. You know, it's amazing that God hears our prayers. They do not fall on deaf ears. God is good all the time. Amen. And all the time, God is good. And it says that God's second response is He remembered His covenant. And notice it, originally we looked, it was the covenant with Abram, who then becomes Abraham. And here it says that they remember the covenant of Abraham, or he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. See, this covenant was a, re, it was renewed throughout the Hebrew Bible. When you read it, there's renewals of this covenant. It wasn't just happen to Abraham and then forget No, it was passed down through those people who would be a blessing to all the world. So we see names added on here, Isaac and Jacob. It's an ongoing covenant. God did not go to Abram and bring him into the family of God and leave him. It's ongoing. God was still at work with his promise because he is faithful And this ongoing covenant, of course, went to David. And then David, someone through his line, would be the king, an everlasting king. We know how that ended. Jesus of Nazareth. But God hears our prayers. He remembered his covenant. And one of the things is... um, that I think, anyways, it's important. Um, we're going to read this quote because remembered may make you think that, well, did God forget? Or, I mean, is, he just forgot or what? You know, then he wouldn't be God. I would still be in my room, like, searching, trying to figure out the existence of God because this wouldn't be it for me, anyways. But God can forget like a human. Sorry, this is very small. I'll read it for you. It says, the average Israelite likely knew at least something about the Abrahamic covenant. 
And it may be useful for the modern reader, which is you and I, to realize that the terms a car, which is remember, is idiomatic for covenant application rather than recollection. Now, here's what he means. In other words, to say God remembered his covenant is to say God decided to honor the terms of his covenant at that time. So it's not a recollection. So remembering the terms that God said, I will bring these promises to fruition. Remember, he went down the middle. Well, anyways, we'll look at that another time. We have a faithful God. He hears. He remembers. And lastly, it says, or uh, the third response is he looked upon. And this verb has the sense of he didn't just look and like, you know, take a glance. It's an examining. It's an inspection. It's the same uh, word and sense that's used when it says that earlier in Exodus where it says Moses looked and saw that the Israelite was being mistreated. Now, unfortunately, his response was he, he killed him. That's not what he should have done. But this same look, Moses didn't kind of just glance. He saw it. He took action. Same way here, God is noticing. He's taking specific inspection of his people and their pain and their cries. He's examining. He's involved. He's going to take action. And then the fourth response says that God took notice. And of course, I'm in the uh, reading out of the NRSV. In this last portion, all the versions have something a little bit different. Okay? So it's, uh, I really like, uh, I really like uh, this, this quote here to help us better understand what that means. That when it says he took notice, again, it's not as if he didn't know that they were there. Okay? Um, but what the scripture says, and he's commenting on this verse, is that God knew his people. He knew all about them. The word suggests intimate, personal acquaintance with all of the particulars of their suffering. The God of the covenant, the God who sees, hears, remembers, is the God who knows our situation in all its desperate need. He is the God who is worth praying to. God heard their prayers. God remembered his promises. God examined, he looked upon the situation. And God took action. God took action. The rest of the book, we see this. God brings the plagues and uses Moses as his vessel, his mouthpiece, to speak the words to Pharaoh. And by God's mighty hand and great powers, he brings them out of Egypt. After 430 years, Many of them died and never got to see this. 
they never got to see this promise fulfilled. But God took action. So what do we learn about God from our text? You know, I hope that we learn that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is faithful. He's faithful to his promises. What he says he will do, just like at the beginning I said, you know, my friend, uh, his name uh, actually was CJ. I knew if he told me he would do something, he was going to do it. But see, God, I can for sure take him to the bank. His promises will be fulfilled regardless of human response. He's faithful. He hears our cries. Brothers and sisters, even when you feel that God is not there, he hears you. Cry out to him. He wants you to. Jesus says, your father already knows what you need, but he still encourages prayer. So I know I can use that sometimes. Well, he already knows. No. That's my lack of humility. I need to ask God to help me. God hears our cries, and he acts on our behalf. God acts on behalf of the people of God. Our God is a faithful God. And one thing you may be asking, hey, that's great, that's awesome. I'm not in Egypt. I wasn't in Egypt. I'm in Wichita, Kansas, brother. That was a long time ago. What about now? What about us? If you can turn over to the book of Philippians, chapter 1. We're going to close out here. So what about us? What about us in little Wichita, Kansas? You guys ever talk to someone on the phone and they say Wichita? Yes. You're in Wichita. Yep, that's us. That's us down here. Philippians chapter 1. Uh, verse 3, Paul writes here, And I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you. Why are you doing that, Paul? Because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul remembers when he went to Philippi. They were treated terribly. But there were some who responded to the gospel and they had created a partnership with one another that despite the persecution, he says, until now. They had this partnership. Paul was thanking God for that. In verse 6, important passage in Philippians, it's generally looked over. Paul says, I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you. Who's that? Who started the good work among them? 
Jesus, God, Christ. Okay. It wasn't Paul, right? It wasn't anyone in the Philippian church. It was no human, right? The one who began a good work among you, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who brought you out of Egypt, our bondage, our slavery to sin, the one who began this work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Which means that the day of Christ Jesus is when Christ returns. So he brought us out of Egypt. He redeemed us. And he says that I will be with you forever, like he says in Matthew 28, until I return. I'm continuing to work on the people of God to transform you into my likeness. I won't stop. I will not stop till I return. Then you're transformed. There is it's the last transformation. It's your heavenly body. You're with God forever. There is no transformation. But until then, God, what He started, He is still doing. For us in little Wichita, The same way that God was with the Israelites in Egypt, the way he was with the persecuted Christians in Philippi, God is with his people in Wichita. What he started, even though we may be scratching our heads sometimes, he's not done. And he will not be done. And I really want to call us to consider in what ways the way that Paul thanked God for the partnership in the gospel that began and was still going. Now is the time for us really to consider the partnership that God started amongst us. Where are those partnerships that need to be renewed, like the covenant? Now is the time that we come together. We renew our partnership that God began because He's still working with us and wants to work with us. Okay? Even when we are all messed up and don't, you know, we kind of try to do our thing. He's still trying to advance why He redeemed us for us to praise and worship Him. That's why He redeemed us. And as a result, we're to witness to the world this God. Brothers and sisters, now I believe is the time to remember that God is good all the time. And all the time God is good. Let's remind one another of that. And remember that God is faithful. He's not done with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. God, we thank you as God, we read scripture and the, the Israelites are reminded over and over again that 
you weren't something hot when I called you. Matter of fact, you were the least of the clans. God, your plan, it, it, it's mind-boggling. Father, despite our unfaithfulness, God, you are always faithful. God, you're always merciful and gracious, waiting for us to come back to you with a repentant heart. God, thank you for today. Thank you, Father, that you hear us. Father, you see us. Father, you examine us. Father, you respond. Thank you that you're not done with us, Father. Please forgive us, God, of the ways that we don't, God, worship you in a way that is worthy of our calling, that we don't witness to others in a way that brings you glory, Father. We thank you, though, that your Spirit is in us and he will help us, Father, to be more like you. God, we pray for the rest of the day. Thank you so much for everybody who is here. God, please uh, pray a blessing on everyone, Father. Uh, pray, Father, that somehow, God, that we would be transformed more into the likeness of your Son as a result of the gathering of the assembly, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, let's all stand together.